This is the Living Fearless Today podcast, a show that helps men like you and me who are struggling to get unstuck and overcome fear to live confidently and courageously. I'm your host and transformation coach, Mike Forrester, helping you create the change you want now. Join me as I interview men who've conquered their challenges and soared to success as they spill their secrets on how they live fearless today. Well, hello and welcome back, my friend. And I have an amazing friend to bring to you today. Ian, I met him three years ago and his story, his energy, just the fact that he is so transparent and open was, was just totally energizing and just one of those things that takes you to another level. So Ian has, has been a, a number one sales producer for Salesforce. He's been doing sales for uh, a number of years. He is just a, a force to be reckoned with straight out. So it's my pleasure to bring it Ian Koniak. Ian, how are you doing today, my friend? I am fantastic, Mike. How are you? I'm doing great. Thank you. Well, Ian, if we could, can we start out where you are today on the business side of life? Oh man, the, the business is uh, seeing explosive growth and, and it is my first full year of, actually, I, I, I officially um, went on leave in, in March of, of last year and I devoted myself full-time to the business. And then, you know, I had a baby and I was on paternity leave technically, but I was really kind of in the business at that point um, and, and caring for my, for my son, but for, for, for the most part, I wasn't going back, you know, to, to, to Salesforce. So um, it's been about a year since I um, officially um, went all in on this business. And right now we we've done, I think we're right at around seven figures uh, in our, in our first full, you know, first, first full year. And I'm about to launch my new coaching platform, which is really focused on helping sales professionals um, get to that next level in sales. And, and it really is the next evolution of my platform. I've been doing one-on-one coaching for several years and, and, and it's only been available to a select few. And so I'm trying to um, build and, and scale that program so I can serve more people in, in the sales community. And that's going to be launching. Uh, enrollment's going to open April 18th. And then the program itself is going to go live May, May 16th, where we're going to start the, the first cohort. So it's a very exciting time. It's a very stressful time, lots of little bugs and things to work out, but um, it's keeping me busy. Uh, and I also get to go on podcasts like this and go speak at companies and, and teach their teams how to sell. So it's every day has been absolutely jam-packed um, and it's a great problem to have and I'm very blessed to be in this position. I'm like, things are going crazy for you right now. It's like busy, 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 but this is like the culmination of what you've worked for. Um, and so it's, it's amazing to see it. Congratulations both on this and uh, the birth of your, your second child. So, yeah, I mean, thank you, Mike. there's a lot going on for you guys. So can we transition over to the personal side? What does that look like for you at this time? You know, for me, the important thing that I would say for anybody who has um, a demanding job, profession, career, business, whatever you have, that can take over your life. That can be the front and center. And I am fortunate where I have a beautiful wife and two young children. And I have made a commitment that no matter how much I have on my plate at work, I'm going to have lunch with my wife every day. Today we had lunch and we went on a little bike ride and it's an hour long and then I'm done working by six. And I keep that commitment 90% of the time. Once in a while, I, I do hop on my laptop at nine or 10 at night for a little bit if something's you know due, but it, it's, it's the exception, not the rule. And same thing on the weekends. So um, because I'm deliberately setting these boundaries to be with my family, to be with my wife, to take care of myself. Um, it's forced me to work a lot more efficiently. And it's also forced me to vote with my time. It's very easy to say, you know, you're the thing that matters most and family matters most. But if you're not around, 
you know, providing for your family is not, not just providing um, financially, it's also providing your time and, and your presence and your love and your support. And that was where for most of my life, I did struggle. I, I always thought providing was just a financial function. And since I've made these changes, really, since I got sober um, in 2020, uh, I've had to, I've been in recovery and, and part of my recovery has been to uh, exercise and to to connect and spend a lot more time with my family. And um, on the personal side, it's made all the difference. I mean, I was on the cusp of losing my family before I got into recovery and it really does um, truly require you to vote with your time and set those boundaries because work is going to fill the time allotted. So because I've made them the priority, my, my family is in a better position than ever. Um, and you know, some of the stuff we, we went through, you know, some of the challenges that I had with addiction and, and whatnot. So I'm very happy to I'm pleased to say that my family and my faith are, are very prominent in my day-to-day life and, and uh, very much the reason why I'm, I think, doing well in business as well. So at the point where you you just talked about, you know, being kind of on on the edge of losing things and now compared to where you, you're at 180 degrees, did you see at that time that there was the possibility of creating these boundaries and working more efficiently because you've, you've always been like this high energy guy that I've known. And so to be in your place and go, I'm going to make this change and it's going to require these sacrifices and I'm still going to get this stuff done. I mean, did that seem feasible to you? I didn't really think about it to be, to be candid, Mike, I didn't think about how am I going to balance a business with a family? What, what I, what happened is I, because of my addiction and because I, I may or may not have shared the details with you, um, but I, I had been living a double life for mo- most of my adult life. I had always struggled with uh, sex and pornography, um, especially when I was in single, you know, I would go to um, sleep with as many women as I can and go to strip clubs. And, and I got my self-worth from feeling in getting attention from women. And, and I think that's very common, more common than, than many people will talk about in, in, a, in our society uh, and what, what we're taught as men and where our worth comes from. But I, I, I think I took it a little too much of an, to an extreme. And when I got married, I thought, you know, all that will go away. It'll stop. And, and frankly, it didn't. And so I did things in, in secret that were not um, aligned with my marriage. My wife is Christian. She's a devout Christian. And um, she always considered, for example, strip clubs to be cheating. So I would go in secret because I believed that fundamentally um, she was wrong and I was right. And that she was being a little too extreme. And, and um, I didn't see it her way because I wanted what I wanted. And same went for porn, same went for alcohol. Um, she was married to an alcoholic for, uh, you know, for 11 years before, before, you know, we were together and, and I, I did a lot of this stuff in secret because I didn't want to, um, I didn't want my wife to see me for that person. Cause I truly didn't feel like I was that person. I felt like, well, once in a while, you know, I'm letting off steam and whatnot, and in 2020, right before the pandemic hit in February, uh, I, you know, because of the grace of God, because of there's no other reason God gets all glory for this. I started coming clean to her. I didn't go and tell her everything that I had done, but I certainly started sharing um, some of what I had done before we got married. And I, I had already been drifted, drifting apart from my wife by that time. I had started my side business. I was performing well, and I just was going further and further from her. And I wasn't being a very present, available husband and father um, at the time. And because of that, she wasn't, um, you know, as sexually active with me as I would have liked to. And so I started sharing this backstory with her and telling like, I need sex, you know, before you, I used to do these things, like I need it. Um, and, and side note for anyone who you know wants more sex in your relationship, be a better husband, be present, be a better, you know, be treat your, treat your wife. Great. It's not just going to turn on like that. If you're not around and, and helping, you know, and being, being a good, a good husband. But I, I thought that's how it worked. And I was just so, so sick and, and um, living in, in my sin. 
Um, and I started to tell her these things about, about my past life. And, and she, of course, asked me, are you still doing any of this stuff? And I said, well, not really, not to the same extreme, but I've done these things. And I kind of opened up about porn. Um, and I opened up about, um, you know, some of the stuff I had done. And she uh, just reacted um, in a way that was, was traumatizing. Um, she, she fell to the ground. Um, she was pregnant and she started shaking uncontrollably on, on the floor. And then it got worse. It went from bad to worse. Uh, and she started having contractions and she was four months pregnant at the time. So I, I tell you this because um, this was my rock bottom. This was really what started me in my journey to um to recovery and to really living this, this on this other side of, of where I am now. But in that moment um, we had to rush to the hospital and I thought we were going to lose our, our son who is now healthy and happy. Thank, thank God. But at the time we thought she was miscarrying because of the stress. And so we, we brought her to the doctor and he put the ultrasound on her and I thought there wouldn't be a heartbeat. We were just, he, he took maybe 10 or 15 seconds and we really thought that was it. And I would have been responsible for that. And it was, I mean, the whole ride there, I was praying. I was praying to God. And I said, God, please, I will do whatever it takes, but please don't take this baby. And that was my journey. That's that's what happened. And fortunately, the doctor um, put the, the ultrasound and he heard a heartbeat. And we, we said, what's going on? What's happening? He's like, your wife is having stress contractions. And that was it. That was it for me. Immediately after I started, I didn't know what it would look like, but I knew my health and my family had to take priority. I knew I was going to get help. So I joined a program called SAA. It's similar to AA, but it's for um, compulsive sexual behavior, porn and, and, and the like. Um, and I, I got a sponsor and I also um, started going to meetings and basically went into therapy went into um, specifically for, for this type of addiction. And I said to my employer at the time, Salesforce, I said, I have to take care of my health. And they were very gracious and they gave me the space. Um, so it wasn't a matter of balancing work and knowing that I would have to keep these boundaries and be an entrepreneur. I had no idea. In fact, at that time, I quit brand builders. I said, I'm not even going to work on my brand. All I'm going to do is, is work on my mental health and my family. In that process, through that process, I came clean to my wife. I told her everything I'd ever done before, during our marriage. Um, and she left me. She left me. And she was gone about a week. She came back. And once she came back, I knew we were going to be okay. So she still was it's hard for me to talk about. I've never kind of told that part of the story, but that was when I God really showed up is bringing her back. Cause she did. She gave me a chance. And I'm very pleased to say that it's been over two years now since I viewed porn. It's been almost three since I've gone to a strip club or anything like that. Um, and in the process of Focusing on that specific vice, that addiction, I've also um, identified other things that were addictive behaviors. So it's been over two years since I've gambled. Um, I also got off Adderall. It's been almost two years since I've got off that. I haven't gotten drunk in two years and I stopped smoking pot. So I, I didn't just make this one change. I, I looked holistically at myself and the behaviors that were addictive, that were pulling me out of alignment, that were pulling me out of being my best self. And I'm a new person. Fundamentally, I, I was reborn. I was um, given a second chance. And, and in the process of that, because I went through that recovery and made my family a priority and made my therapy and my, my health a priority, I got in the habits, really good habits um, of, of listening to my wife, of helping around the house, of cooking and caring for the kids and being a better husband and father and being the man, not just that was abstaining from addictive behaviors, but was actually connecting the way that my wife wanted, needed and deserved as well as my children. So for me, it, it never 
going back to a business was something I did after I did this deep work. And then it, 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 it really became, I'm not going to give up these other, basically this is not negotiables for me to be around with my family is a non-negotiable to have lunch. with My wife is a non-negotiable. Um, and, and so it's, you know, it's required me moving maybe a little bit slower on some of the stuff with the business that, that I could do, but, but that's been good. It's good to have those guardrails to, cause all we have is time. And if we're only working, we're, we're, we're going to miss, miss what matters most in life. So that's how I evolved into like, I never would say I saw that in the beginning of this journey. It's just kind of evolved into this. I'm going to work this much and I'm going to hold these other boundaries sacred. And fortunately it's worked out and um, the business is also thriving. Yeah, it definitely is. You talked about doing some deep work after everything that went on. What did that look like for you as far as, um, you know, you're, you're uncovering different things, like the different things you're addicted to and, and then diving in to remove that root. What did it look like for you at the time? Yeah. I mean, it looked like a few things. So it was very, in the first 90 days, it was extremely intensive. So I went to 90 SAA meetings in 90 days at the request of my therapist. She said, Ian, we need to rewire your brain. We need to rewire your brain. Okay. Your brain is like neuropathways, you know, there's strong neuropathways. And if you feed it in any way, shape or form, it's going to, um, you know, you're going to keep those neuropathways strong. So we need to rewire and it takes about 90 days to, to rewire your brain. So I want you to go to 90 you know, meetings in 90 days. And I, I was going to all these SAA meetings. Um, I was also speaking to my sponsor weekly. I was attending therapy weekly. And then within the therapy, we did a lot of work where we did um, a lot of like childhood work going back to why I was the way I was. I always kind of beat myself up because I'm like, what's wrong with me? Why do I go self-sabotage? Why do I go do these things and keep repeating these same behaviors? And um, when I gave myself grace and realized like a lot of this wasn't my fault, Mike, a lot of it truly was, um, it went back to when I was 12 years old, we, we mapped out like when this began. And I first discovered porn at 12, the hardcore part, pornography. I discovered Playboys when I was five or six years old. My dad had them around the house. My parents were divorced. I'd go stay with my dad and, you know, we'd, we'd have access to that stuff as well as dirty movies. And, and, um, at the time of around 12 years old, my, my family um, went from a family of four to a family of two. So my mom had remarried um, my stepdad and my brother, who's four years older than me. We all were in California. And um, within the same year, my, my stepdad um, and my mom separated. He moved out and my brother was sent to live with my father in New York. So we went from a family of four to a family of two. And that was the same year I discovered hardcore pornography. Um, and that became a coping mechanism for me that became a way of feeling good. And and my mom was depressed and crying and it was just the two of us. And, you know, I didn't really ever give a thought to it. I never thought of like, why am I, why the way I am, but then like going back that far in in that same year, I had a, um, a freak accident with my pet. I had a little pet bird and we had a cat too. And, um, the pet bird was like my comfort, you know, my, my comfort, um, uh, support, you know, friend during all this. And she would sit on my shoulders while I did my homework and kiss me. It was like the sweetest bird. And at that same time, um, there was a freak accident where the door was open and the cat was like running in and the bird was flying. And I saw the cat and I tried to slam the door so that the, the cat couldn't get in. And I slammed it right on the bird's neck and, and watched the bird die at the exact moment. And it was like, I killed my bird. My family was, you know, went from four to two and, and um, you know, those are traumatic, traumatic things for, for a 12 year old. So once I discovered that as a source that year, that same year, I started acting out in other ways. I started skiing cars, vandalizing, breaking windows. And that trend kind of continued through college when I was engaged in illegal activities through after college, when I go took off to South America to get away from everything. It was always like escaping and trying to get away. And when you trace the source and you kind of understand why you are the way you are, then, then that's when you can give yourself grace. So I, I spent a good month really going deep into the source of why sex had become a way for me to cope. 
um, as well as alcohol and drugs, because it all kind of fit fit into that same same time timeline. And most addicts don't just have one one vice, one addiction. It's usually multiple. Um, and so, so that was the deep work we did. It was really that therapy. Um, God bless, you know, my therapist, you know, and, and um, then it was the work of, you know, um, really, I would say identifying the triggers that made me want to act out. We call it acting out recovery. Um, acting out would be like going online or whatever, doing, engaging in the activities that you're trying to refrain from. So that was the second part of the deep work is like the awareness of when I was feeling tempted. And what I discovered is a lot of times I was just doing this to procrastinate, or I was just doing it because there was, I felt overwhelmed or stressed, or maybe I was working so hard. I needed to relief. So in, in those times, that's why ingesting some of the, the healthy activities, like taking a walk, like you know, um, connecting, like, like taking breaks, exercise, like that was a lot of the work was, was recognizing not only when I was feeling that way, but like giving myself the permission to, um, to say, okay, like I need a, you know, I need to recharge the battery, which I, I think, you know, I'm high energy, right? So I, I had never done that before. My recharging the battery was, was in a very unhealthy way. So, it was, it was the work of identifying why I am the way I am. And then the work of the awareness of when I started feeling the painful feelings that made me want to go to the behavior um, that was, was unhealthy. So it, yeah. it was, a, it was a lot of work. And then there was, I mean, there's groups, there was meetings, there was accountability partners. There was a lot of um, work. I mean, there was, there was doing the deep work of like literally filling workbooks in, um, to identify and answer some questions, a lot of reading material, the meeting, 90 meetings in 90 days. I mean, it became a big chunk of work, you know, that I was doing, but it was the best work I could have ever done. I mean, it really was, it transformed my brain, it transformed, and it got rid of the things that, um, that were holding me back from truly fulfilling and living um, to my full potential, but also living a life of integrity. I was a hypocrite before I was coaching, but I wasn't applying what I was coaching. And now I can do it freely because I know I'm not doing these things that I I used to do. So when someone comes to me with struggles or challenges, I understand where they are. And the advice I give is one from a person who's, um, you know, practicing what what they preach. It's, it's interesting. Like I was nine years old, like you're talking about with, you know, hardcore pornography. So I was nine for that. And I fully understand like what you're talking about it. We medicate off of it. And I don't know, tell me if this was the same experience for you. We medicate off of different things, but in the reality of it, it's, it has its hooks in us. Like we're being controlled by what, what we see as freedom. It's, it's disguised, but it's not like we, we get to break out or it's doing us any kind of favors. Is that what you went through as well? Or you see now? I think for me, it wasn't so much the pornography that I felt was a struggle. It was the, you know, the, for me, the pornography was a gateway. You know, I started um, discovered porn um, early as, as I shared, but you know, Mm -hmm. um, I also discovered brothels that were right near where I lived in in college. I I discovered prostitution and strip clubs and massage parlors and other things that fundamentally um, were physical. And I definitely separated the two. I didn't think it was all kind of part of the same disease or part of the same. um, I would say, you know, because again, my wife had, had told me strip clubs are cheating, but she never told me that porn was, was, was not okay. Right. We just didn't talk about it. So for me, porn was just part of my life. I didn't feel like it had a stranglehold on me. I felt like the strip club did, frankly, um, that was what I identified as my addiction, but I didn't know this isn't something that's talked about. This isn't something that people, um, share. But when, when I started going to therapy and doing this deep work, I, I learned, she's like, you can't watch porny. And I'm like, what do you mean? I'm, I'm not going to these other things. Like, Oh, it's, it's the same thing. Right. And I, I initially, um, didn't understand it or know how I was going to do it. But what I found was uh, that I didn't feel, 
or I certainly wasn't aware. I was never trying to stop watching porn, put it that way. That was never something. What I was trying to stop doing was go to strip clubs, right? I was trying to stop doing things that physically would constitute as cheating. Um, but I never thought of porn as cheating. Actually, the the, the real um, story is, you know, when I started coming clean to my wife, I told her, um, hey, honey, I, I'm not going to strip clubs anymore, right? <laughs> um, but I, I started going to these live chat rooms where women would be would be stripping. Um, they were they were paid. It wasn't just porn movies. It was a live interactive kind of. Um, I call. I told my wife it was a virtual strip club. Okay. He's like, well, it's all fantasy. It's all fake. And that's what, what caused her to have those contractions. So I was going on webcams um, and, and seeing how that made her react and seeing that that nearly killed my son was enough where the, the initially I kind of thought, well, maybe I will watch porn, but I won't just go on these webcam sites. And the, and, and the, the therapist is like, are you crazy? You can't do that. It's all the same. You know, it's all the same. It's like, there's like a little button right there. So I, I, I um, again, I can talk freely about this mainly because I, 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 it's been so long since I've, I've done this, but that was really the thing um, that I kind of had struggled with you know, I would delete the account. I would stop. So that, that kind of like the strippers, the live kind of watching women and, and going through that and, or, or, or online, that was really, I never thought of like movies as, as something that had a strangle on me, but I definitely felt that way with some of, some of the more interactive um, type of activities. So it's the same feeling, but it just wasn't yeah. directly pornography. And, and I should clarify my apologies. Like, when I'm talking about medicating out it, not just being porn, but porn being something that can medicate for me, it was also like video games, right? When I'm, Oh porn- yeah. I mean, here's the, yeah. Yeah. So, so I answered the question maybe a little too deep. No, you're good. But, but, but yeah. So the pattern of addiction yeah. is I have a lot on my mind. I feel stressed. I feel tired. I feel anxiety. I feel sad. I feel whatever. It doesn't feel good. I'm going to put myself in a state where I don't have to think. So that medication could be television. It could be Netflix binging. I I used to go play video games for hours and hours, sometimes till three in the morning on a work day. Like, and I would be like, what the hell is going on here? Cause it was like this, it was like a high that I would get and it would feel so good as opposed to the, you know, having to do the hard thing that I didn't want to do. Right, have the hard conversation, deal with the hard feelings, um, do the hard work that that I needed to do in my job. You, you know, so yeah, it very much was an escape from reality when reality was getting too much to handle. Now, I know for me, it's like those times when I would medicate or want to escape. You know, I'm I'm looking to avoid pain, um, whether it's the yes. pain of low self worth or the stress, like you've talked about feeling you know, overwhelmed, inadequate, whatever the the case may be. How did you go back and figure out these are my triggers and I need to be mindful of when these occur and go do something different to in a healthy way, um, address them. Does that make sense? It does. It does. Um, There's a great book. It's called, it's by Charles Duhigg called the power of habit. So he talks about cues and a cue might be, I'll give you a simple example of a cue. A cue might be, um, I've worked 12 hours and I'm exhausted, right? And therefore, I'm feeling tired. And because I'm feeling tired, I want to um, zone out, veg out, doing whatever the thing is I'm doing. A cue might be literally driving in a certain neighborhood that has certain associations with the bar or a strip club or whatever. It's like, you have to know what your cues are. Um, and Charles Duhigg's book does a great job of, because it's habit. It really is. It does come down to habit. Addiction, unless you're on heroin or um, my therapist explained this to me very well. She said there's physical addictions and there's process addictions. And process addiction would be something we're addictive to, to doing when we have these, these painful things that are not phys- physiologically addictive, like um, heroin, for example, or, or methamphetamine or alcohol, which has the physical addiction, a process addiction could be a gambling, or it could be, um, pornography. It could be, um, work shopping, eating, overeating video games. Right. So you're not going to get physical withdrawals. That's, that's probably the best way to, 
identify it. So the 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 real work is is um, for me. I, I I don't think it was so much. I'm feeling this way. I'm going to resist doing this thing. It, it was just a habit that I would do because I felt this way. And, and I still feel those triggers. I mean, it doesn't go away. But what's different now is I don't have access to certain things that I used to have. So, for example, removing pot from the house I would physically have to go buy it in order to go smoke pot. Right. So that's gives me a lot of time to go and deliberately plan something that would 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 jeopardize my recovery. Um, I would physically have to go buy Adderall and get the per- permission. I flush the Adderall down the toilet. So, you know, it, it's it's there's a great quote that I love that says it's better to avoid temptation than to have to rely on your willpower to resist it. Okay. So for me, it came down to putting filters on my computer, porn filters, where I couldn't go to any adult sites. And if I did, if I tried, my wife would get a notification, a message. So, you know, if you really want to change, like don't, you tried your whole life or you've been this way your whole life and it still hasn't worked out. So clearly, I mean, getting help, it's not a matter of like, oh, I'm this self-aware and I know my cue and therefore I can control myself. No, it's a matter of changing your environment. It's a matter of removing the things that you're tempted to do. You want to, you have a problem with sweets, you still have to go to the store and buy it. Like making that decision of saying, I'm not going to make it available is very, very important. Now, now when I recognize my cues, I would say I still Sometimes veg out, but on a scale of one to 10, it's at a one or a two in terms of severity of vegging out. So I might, on certain times where I'm feeling tired and burnt out, I might um, want to put the TV on for an hour and a half, you know, versus my normal, you know, 30 minutes or whatever I would watch. Or I might go get an ice cream sandwich because I really need my ice cream or Skittles. I'm a, I'm a, I'm a sucker for sweets. Um, but that's it. Like it really like, okay, is it going to kill me to have some Skittles at 10 and the night? No, it won't. Okay. It's not going to kill me. It's not going to kill me to watch TV. Um, I might fundamentally like being in a hotel was a big trigger for me. Being away and out of town was a major trigger. Um, and so for a while, again, I, if I was ever traveling, I gave my wife, my credit cards, my, my ATM cards so that I wouldn't have that. She got all my accounts, my Uber accounts. So she like, you have to set yourself up where you're not, you have to have some accountability like to, to what you're making these commitments to. It's not just know your trigger and, and be aware. I think now what I do is when I feel a certain way, I know it's time to go on a walk. I know, and more importantly, more importantly, it's, it's preventative maintenance. It's not just awareness of this. It's ingesting the right activities into your daily routine that make it so you're not going to feel that way in the first place. That's the real strategy that I've I've deployed. So for example, I have a very regimented morning routine and it's not always perfect, but every day, hundred percent of the days, it includes prayer. I, I pray to God. And I also say an affirmation. I say an affirmation to remind myself of what's important. I look in the mirror and next to the mirror is a picture of my family and it has the following affirmation on it. It says every day I will give it my all because when I'm all in, I feel my best. I inspire others to do their best. And I continue to provide the dream life for my family. Giving my all means showing up fully every day, planning and executing, serving others with abundance and love and staying positive and focused, right? And I've told myself that because I struggle with ADHD. And for me, you know, multi- tasking and trying to do too many things was always a problem. When I got off the Adderall, I had to deploy this, the strategy. So I remind myself who I am, show up fully, plan and execute, stay positive and focused and serve others with abundance and love. So who am I becoming? Not who do I want to be, but who am I right now? That's been the strategy. So, so using affirmations, prayer, using um, exercise, and the connection has been huge with my with my family, making the, the time to, to be with my wife, to be with my kids, to take walks, to have date nights, to be able to really feel that has made it. So these feelings of 
inadequacy are no longer coming up. These feelings of wanting to escape. What am I wanting to escape? I have a wonderful life, right? So that's the cool thing. The wanting to escape comes from living in the shadows. It comes from doing things in secret that we're not proud of. That's what we're wanting to escape from. And that becomes a a um, self-perpetuating cycle. But when you're not doing things anymore, those feelings of wanting to escape tend to to be less and less. And that's kind of what, what I experience now to the point where, you know, it's a fleeting thought versus, oh my God, I'm tempted to go do something. Now, how have you, because you were hanging out with your family before, how have you changed in how you are hanging out with them today? Like, is it, is it that you're present? Are you intentional on scheduling stuff? I mean, like what's different now versus I think, I, think um, I schedule the time. Mm-hmm. I think that's a big thing. I, I have it blocked off every day um, with my wife from 12 to one for lunch. I never did that before. Um, I think I am more empathetic to my wife than I used to be. For example, my wife is a full-time mom, yet we do have um, a nanny come two days a week. So she can go have some time for herself. I probably would never have done that a few years ago because I would have been such a jerk to say um, that, you know, hey, you're a full-time mom. What what do you need time off for? Like I'm working, right? So that's kind of the the way I showed up before. Whereas now I I generally try to um, listen more with her, Um, with my kids. It's made a huge, I mean, believe me, I'm not a saint. Like, it's not like this stuff has happened. I've always had to, identify things that I need to continue to work on. So um, back uh, in about, about six months ago in October last year, um, I went to a men's retreat. I may have told you about this. And one of the things that I worked on there was my temper. I'm like, I have, you know, a temper and I, I can snap at my wife and my son. And I'm so proud that I haven't, you know, screamed at my family in six months. I mean, that, so it's not, it's, it was huge. It is huge because they don't deserve that. And when I came away from that, immersion was, was with the, with the mantra of like, I will fight for my family, not with them. I'm going to fight for them. Why channel all this anger and rage towards them? They didn't do anything. So like, that's, that's a way that I interact. That is very different. I think, I think I was just kind of frenetic with them when I was there. I wasn't as present as I could, could have been. And and I want to be very clear. I'm not claiming to be perfect at all. There are times when I bring my phone out and I have a lot on my mind, but it's like, that's where the awareness and the self like understanding comes into play. Cause I could feel that. And I have to, then I, okay, I'm going to put my phone in the other room. Okay. Let's go on a walk. Like I feel myself like not being fully present. So let's, let's mix it up. Um, I would definitely say I'm a better husband and a better father, more loving, but again, we all, we all have work to do. We all have work to do. I get caught up in my business and wanting to build a multi-million dollar business and scaling, and that that's my my vice, right? The 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 as a man of faith, um, sanctifying God is is our responsibility, giving all credit to God. And I tend to give credit to myself. I struggle with egocentric centric belief. I struggle with glorifying myself and what I've done because I have had success and you know, in business and and in sales and now in recovery. And I tend to give myself a lot of credit and it's not me. It's God. God is the one who gets all the credit, but I do. So we all have things we still struggle with because I'm not going, becoming a preacher. I'm not, I'm I'm selling coaching and, and, and I'm not saying God is responsible. You know, there still is this, this, I'd say um, stigma around, around faith and and, in the business world. And I don't, talk as much as I, I don't credit God as much as I, I think I could and should um, in, in this whole process, because that to me has been everything like letting go and letting God is, is foundational to recovery. It is foundational to recovery. And that, that to me um, has been a big part of like how I've interacted with my family and improved the interactions. We actually go to church together and, you know, we, we talk and I understand her faith more and, and I understand you know, what it means to have lived in sin and now what it means to be um, reborn and in, 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 in see the light, if you will. Um, and that's just a world I was blind to for, you know, my whole, my whole life. So I did become a Christian and accept, um, it gave me a lot of understanding of why I did the things I did. I was raised Jewish and I just didn't 
understand, you know, that we that we all inherited sin and that Jesus died for us so that we could um you know live live a different life. And 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 you know that's that's pretty exciting. That was very exciting for me in recovery to to have an explanation because I always just told myself, what the hell's wrong with you? But if I once we understand human nature is to sin and is to uh, you know, follow our fleshly desires, then then it becomes a lot more of a um we can give ourselves more grace, you know, understanding like understanding why you are the way you are, but also understanding like it's also human nature as, as a man, especially uh, to me made a huge difference. And that makes me, the Bible also says about marriage, you know, what, let no, um, let no man pull apart what God has yoked together. And, and I always viewed me and my wife as separate individuals. I didn't view us as one entity yoked together. That's why I have my secrets. I have my double life. Right. And that's just not like, there's no more secrets with her. She knows everything. And it's like, that makes it the trust level is just a lot better. Uh, it's not perfect. I mean, it takes a lot of time, but um, it's a lot better. So it's, er, everything's changed with the interaction. Everything's changed. Yeah. I can imagine. I love hearing you talk about grace because I think that's something that and like forgiving ourselves that's something that most of us don't, you know, go through and practice, or we find is the hardest part, right? Is, oh my gosh, what's wrong with me? Okay. I'm going to start, you know, healing and working on this and others may forgive you, but it seems like that, that giving ourselves grace and forgiveness is kind of one of the hardest things is, was that something you experienced in the process? Once I accepted that it wasn't my fault, I could give myself grace until then my whole life. I couldn't, I always kept it locked up. I always beat myself up. I was in denial. I said, this isn't me. I was living, living in denial and and delusional in, in, in every sense. And once I accepted and in part of the process of repentance and sanctification was, was truly coming clean and admitting, and that's part of the 12 steps, right? Making amends. And I went, went through the 12 steps, I'm still going through them on step 10 still. Um, they take a while, <laughs> but, but, but um, I've been stuck at step 10 for a long time, but I, I did a lot of the, you know, I've done my men's and, and, and a lot of the, the deep work, but that, that exercise of going and actually admitting everything you've ever done there is such cleansing and such grace that comes with that. Cause once you've got it all out there, you're not holding on to these secrets that you're ashamed of. That's where the, you know, that's where the shame comes from. It's, it's comes from having secrets and lies. And um, another quote, you can tell I'm a, I'm a sucker for quotes is um, the freest man in the world is the one with nothing to hide. And that's what I experienced. That's when I could truly give myself grace. And, and I had to tell my wife some things that I was very, scared and ashamed of. And like I said, she left me briefly. I even went and took a polygraph as part of this. So she knew that everything I shared was, was everything. There was nothing else. And I passed the polygraph, of course, and she came back. And and that's the beautiful thing about forgiveness and forgiveness is preached in the Bible and it's, it's all over. It's, it's once you see that other people are willing to forgive you and that God already has forgiven you, it's much easier to forgive yourself, but it starts with revealing and sharing the things you've done that you're holding on to and hiding. Those skeletons have to get out of the closet. That's that's such a important part of um, of grace because you're never going to forgive yourself if you're still living a lie, if you're still hiding things, especially from your significant other. So that's when it truly did occur for me is when I got everything out and I was okay. I didn't, you know, and the fact that my wife like accepting me, even knowing all these things and the fact that God still loved me, even knowing these things. I mean, for me, there was no going back. Having gone through that experience, there was, and there is no going back. There's just no way in a million years that I would ever put my wife through that again. And myself, I'm, everything's been blessed. Everything since, since all this happened has turned into my family, my, my business, my health, um, I'm being rewarded. God God sees it. And I want to be an inspiration for other people. That's why I have those affirmations. Um, And so there's no shame. Shame, again, it occurs 
when we continually continually do the things that we're ashamed of, and it's also when we're holding on to secrets. So when you when you're not doing it anymore, and when you've changed, like I find that it's very there's no there's no shame at all. I don't carry any shame right now. I, I carry sadness. I carry sadness that I could have done some of those things and hurt my wife. That that very much is still, but it's not shame. There's a big difference. Yeah, I get that. Um, in looking back, let's say like three years ago, um, where you were, you know, or four or five years ago, where that was your lifestyle. Did you ever think what you're experiencing now was available to you? Like, no, (laughs) I had no idea. Remember you're blind and then you see the light you're walking in darkness. God talks about this. Every religion talks about this, right? There's a point where you go and you wake up. And, and for me, um, yeah, it was that moment on that ride to the hospital that, that will, that changed my life. That was my new awakening. And, and that was my enlightenment. Um, and I never in a million years could have envisioned that I would be sitting here having this conversation free from what had a stranglehold on me for, for my entire life. I, I, I never would have thought in a million years that I would, would, would have stopped, you know, getting drunk or given up all the vices that were so enjoyable, frankly. I mean, I go, I don't want anything to do with Las Vegas. I was just in Miami for a keynote and I had um, pits in my stomach kind of seeing just, just the energy there and, and some of the, um, raunchiness around the streets and it's just fundamentally like i was telling my wife this last night like i am a different person so could i have imagined it then no because i was a different person um i still have the same uh i i guess um wiring like the same energy same temperament like that didn't change that doesn't go away you can't just like our DNA in terms of how, how we like our energy level, whatever. I've always been this way since I was a little kid, but it gets channeled in a very different direction. The key, I'm going to give you three, three keys. Um, I want to give your audience three keys to true fulfillment and happiness, which I've learned over, over um, this five-year journey. And especially over the past couple of years in recovery, Um, when we're making it all about ourselves, it's the, cause of our suffering often our thoughts our own grandiose importance our own you know struggles but when we can turn off our ego when we can truly exist to serve to love to give and provide and contribute to others we get we get filled up right we we when when that becomes the mission and and that's been a huge part of why I quit my job, very lucrative job and, and started my own business to coach and serve for a living is a, is a blessing. That's the first, that's the first key. Um, the second key. So, so from an inward to an outward focus is hugely. So being the father and the husband and just being a good person and helping people that, 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 that I was so self-absorbed my whole life. So self, you know, indulgent. And, and I think, just giving and making it about others and not you is hugely um, impactful and effective for, for recovery. Um, The second key is growth. When we are growing and learning new things and becoming stronger and wiser and surrounding ourselves and putting ourselves in uncomfortable positions and challenging ourselves to do the things we've never done before. um, That is also, you know, um, key to key to fulfillment. It's continuing, you know, you're either growing or you're dying. So contributing, growing. And the third thing is connect, connection, connecting, um, having friends, family, and loved ones, us talking, having this conversation, um, me spending time with my wife uh, and my family and seeing my friends and my kids and really not, not just being there, but being present and, and truly connecting and loving. And it's just, uh like I said, when you fill your days with connection, growth, and contribution, um, everything else kind of takes care of itself. So that's what I've tried to intentionally design my life around those things. And, and um, yeah, that, that's that's been the key for me to, to letting my ego go is when I'm just letting God, letting Holy Spirit, letting you know my, my best self be in service of other people totally get that. And what you've shared is vital there because it's, 
until we like get out of our own way, we let ourselves have permission. I mean, yeah, we're, we're just standing there halting things. Well, Ian, thank you, bro. Um, how can people reach out to you outside of the podcast? Uh, well, if you're in sales and you want coaching and you struggle with any of the things that, um, you know, that I shared, uh, you can go to my website, ianconiac.com and you'll see a little button for coaching. And, uh, that's my program. You can work with me. Um, it's launching April 18th. So that's how you get on the wait list right now. There is a wait list to go on, but, um, that's how you can work with me. Uh, if something you heard resonated and you want to share your feelings or you need help. Um, I, I do, uh, try to make myself available for men in need, um, women in need too, uh, and point them to the right direction. That, that is my way of, of contributing and giving back. So send me a DM and tell me how I can help you on that personal level. Um, LinkedIn is where you will go to find me. I, I'm not active on Instagram or Facebook outside of my you know family pictures and whatnot, but my website and LinkedIn are are definitely the best places to get a hold of me. And um yeah it's it's uh it's my privilege to be able to share what I've gone through in an effort to help people realize that they're not alone that some of the things that you know, I struggle with are actually quite common. And once I went into recovery, I found that out firsthand. And if I could be of any support in any way, I'm happy to do that. So friend, I appreciate you being honest, open, vulnerable, and just removing the veil because we do often feel it's just us and nothing can be further from the truth. That's an absolute lie that we get when we're in isolation. That's right. Well, Ian, thank you, bro. I so appreciate it. And, uh, yeah, super grateful. Thank you, my friend. My pleasure. Thanks for um, thanks for creating the container to have this conversation in the space. Thanks so much, my friend, for joining me on another episode. If you found the information within the show helpful, please leave a review on the platform you're listening to. It helps raise the show's visibility so other men can join us in breaking free. See you on the next episode. And remember to continue putting yourself out there. Have a great one.